Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, First Universalist. Please rise in body or spirit and join us in singing our opening hymn, Come, Come, Whoever You Are, number 188 in the Gray Hymnal. Welcome to First Universalist on this here balmy day. Yeah, I know, right? Um, My name is Ashley, and I'm one of your ministers here. And this morning, I have the honor of leading worship with your Sanctuary and Resistance team. Let's show them a little love. This team accompanies immigrants in the struggle within an immigration system that criminalizes migration incarcerates immigrants in detention and separates families. Since November 2016, they have carried out this work as an emergent strategy team and in conjunction with many community partners by providing sanctuary space in the church, observing at immigration court, distributing financial resources and resisting the, and resisting change, resisting to change, whew. The system, trying to change the system, (laughs) y'all. Namely, to make Minnesota a sanctuary state. Today, we get to explore and reflect on our UU faith and values um, in this congregation to give us courage, to give us strength and hope to accompany immigrant partners in the struggle for justice in our immigration system. But first, What do we actually mean by accompaniment? We are not all called to be Franco, though he is fabulous, but we can learn from his wisdom. Let me tell you a short story about my learning. When I started my year-long residency as a chaplain at a hospital in Brooklyn, New York about 10 years ago, I had no idea what I was doing. There were seemingly superheroes in white capes that literally ran by me all the time to rescue people from the edge of death. They were the doctors. And then I would stand there 
trying to pray. And I didn't even know what I was praying for half the time. And I didn't believe that my prayer was going to change the outcome of what was happening. So science felt more important. And I just sat there or stood there feeling massively inept and in the way. I was not a spiritual rescue squad. I did not believe in spiritual rescue squads. So my job, as it turned out, was to be the spiritual accompaniment. I was the mere human among those gods in white capes. I would sit with the terrified families. I would bring tea. I would listen. Each time the elevator doors opened to a scene of crisis my, my pager had brought me to, I learned to pray silently to myself. Make me an instrument of your love, Holy One. A riff on that famous prayer by St. Francis of Assisi. I learned in time that being a non-anxious, loving presence there to do nothing of outward import but listen and love and support the spiritual needs that emerged around me was another kind of medicine. It allowed the humanity and loving presence of others to arrive too, which in the middle of a crisis turns out to actually make a difference, not in the outcome of the crisis, but in the meaning people felt when they left that moment that would change their lives forever. So this morning, I'm praying again in this very different context of Sanctuary and Resistance Sunday that we may all become spiritual accompanists instead of the temptation to be the rescue squads of white saviorness or American exceptionalism. Make us instruments of love, Holy One. Teach us to listen. Teach us to be present. Teach us to accompany. May it be so. Thank you, Reverend Ashley. My name is Karen Wills. I've been a member of the Sanctuary and Resistance team for some years. My role on the team uh, also leverages my role as director of Moose Jaw, the Minnesota UU Social Justice Alliance, coalition of 30 congregations across Minnesota. And so we connect the work that we're doing at First Universalist, my work as a person who's been a member here for almost 25 years now with the work of UUs around Minnesota, North and South Dakota. That's to name some of what we call our land now. And we center ourselves in a land acknowledgement, not as an empty exercise with no accountability, but to recommit to live into relationships of gratitude for our interdependency with the land and its creatures, including other humans. Thank you to people who immigrated from Africa and Asia more than 16,000 years ago here to what we call North America now, who became today's indigenous peoples who have cared for this land and been cared for it, and been cared for by its forests, lands, rivers, and prairies for centuries before new immigrants arrived. 
We honor with humble gratitude our obligations to return, repair, and preserve this homeland of Dakota, Anishinaabe, and other indigenous peoples, and of diverse leafy, finned, and four-legged relatives. This was once a land full of fish and turtles, otters and birds, dragonflies and bears, before steam engines made it so easy to harvest timber and plant crops that now almost all the wild mammals and half the wild plants are gone. We acknowledge that this land existed before landlords, owners, or borders. There have always been immigrants and refugees and settlers, humble or imperious, harmful or benign. But the land was not always planted and harvested in ways that led to marketing people as chattel slaves or that recruited and expelled migrant workers in waves like incoming and outgoing surf. There have always been immigrants but there have not always been fences, checkpoints, documents, or detainees. Histories say the first recorded immigrant from Mexico to Minnesota came in 1886 as a musician on concert tour who fell in love and stayed here. Thank you to all the peoples who've come with fearful or broken hearts, with hopeful and loving hearts to this land from every part of the world, bringing songs and stories and seeds and an indomitable determination to survive and to construct a new community of communities. And to close with words from my friend, Ana Maria de la Rosa, Let's take a moment to acknowledge that we too are land. Can you feel your own heartbeat under your hand? Can you interrupt the belief that there is some essential separation between you and the trees outside? The fish sleeping under the ice, the rabbits hopping tracks into the snow? between you and someone sitting beside you. We are land personified. And to admit that we are land and acknowledge our commitment to the land means we commit to taking whatever steps are necessary to protect the land, the bees, the forests, the headwaters, the person whose Dakota ancestors are buried here, the person crossing the border right now, or detained on Hennepin Avenue right now. The children and the teachers who'll be in their classrooms, the person sitting beside you. The heart you feel beating as you hold your hand over your heart. We are land. May we honor and tenderly tend to the land, to ourselves, and to one another. Aho, ashe, and amen.
I have a friend who has been in the United States for 20 years. He likes to show me pictures of his daughter on his phone. He lives with several other men in an apartment to save money. He hasn't seen his daughter in 20 years, but he put her through university so she could have a better life than what he could have offered her if he had stayed in his home country. He has cancer now, but he doesn't have health insurance. He doesn't qualify for any. So he lives uncertain about how his health is progressing. His circumstances are ordinary. This is daily life in an immigrant community. Come, let us listen for where love is calling us next and in community, let us worship together. Whether you are here in person or joining us online, please join us in lighting our chalice. And if you are elsewhere, I invite you to find a candle to light with us. Please join me in saying the words for lighting our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Hello, it's really good to see all of you here today, and to those of you online, welcome. My name is Jean Guion, and I've been a member of the Sanctuary and Resistance team here at First Universalist since we began in late 2016, early 2017. And the work continues. It is not over. And so my role, um, has been really varied over the years. Currently, I am a representative from this church on a couple of interfaith committees that deal with immigration justice. And I also help facilitate a core team who works in close relationship with people who have been living in our church building. Um, our team name is Sanctuary and Resistance. Those are kind of big words. We wanted to take a few minutes just to focus on the word sanctuary. There will be more references later to some of the resistance aspect of our work. But as you sit there and think about what sanctuary means, and if you're online, put an idea in the chat. We welcome that. But what are some ideas when you think of the word sanctuary? What comes to mind? And we invite you just to sh shout it out. Safety. Safety, yes. Protection. Someone say love. Welcome. A home. Wonderful. Comfort. Wonderful. Respite. Ah, yeah. Respect. Thank you. All of those that you bring up, and when I think of like a bird sanctuary, there's, there's a refuge there. Um, we also talk about sanctuary. This room. <laughs> a sacred and holy We call it a sanctuary. Place. Yeah, yeah. 
sacred and holy place, all of them bring to mind for me ideas of sacred, holy, protected, and safety. So this is my question. How do you know if you're safe? What does it feel like in your body to know you are safe? Relaxed, okay. Calm. Comfortable. Peaceful. Open. Included. Protected. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that so many of you know what safety feels like in your bodies. When there are a lot of people who, who don't know that feeling in their bodies right now. Yeah, that's so true. And in the work that we do, we know personally many immigrants who do not feel safe in this country at this time. And a lot of that has to do, Ashley, with them not having the right documents, the right legal papers for them to go about freely and safely and openly to get health care, maybe go to school, not even feeling safe sometimes in their own home. And these papers can be complicated to get and cost a lot of money. And so it's not something that it's just like, oh, why don't you go get that? It's not that easy. It's much more complicated with that. And so it makes people afraid. And that's where our attempts at being sanctuary for them is really important. And we, as you use, believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And that means that we believe that every person, regardless of the right papers, deserves to have a place where we can feel safe. And that's why we have made a sanctuary home in our, children, in our church building, as most of you probably know. And I just learned. <laughs> New kid on the block. In 2017, our congregation boldly and courageously declared we would be a sanctuary church. And at that time, we had a family of four living in a minister's office for two and a half years before they were able to leave and be safe again. Then we had our capital campaign, and we as a community decided, yes, let's make this a part of our purpose here, part of our community, and we built an efficiency apartment. And for the last year, a single parent and two children live there, were welcomed there, and recently were able to leave and go to their own home. So we're in the process now, slowly, going to take a little breather here. We, these are people's lives. It's deep connection that those of us who personally are engaged with them have. We're going to slowly reconfigure that apartment again and see and open it and welcome it to see who might come. And 
there are lots of ways that all of us can support that. First, we built the place. Your financial contributions have been so incredibly generous and so appreciated and so important. And there are other advocacy and witnessing and neighborhood things that people here are doing, and that's important too. And we had an idea of how we can continue this welcoming as a congregation for the next immigrant family. Are you holding a heart in your hands? Literally, not just spiritually. <laughs> yes. Oh, awesome. Lovely. lovely. These. Oh, what? Lovely. Oh my gosh, you're so ahead of the game. <laughs> so most of us don't get to know the next family directly, but that doesn't mean we can't share our love and our solidarity and our courage and be present to them with these cards. So this is your opportunity to write a message of support, of solidarity, of love to the next family who might come live in the apartment in the church to make it feel like a sanctuary. You're welcome to draw, you're welcome to write, you're welcome to use as many stickers as you want. Um, and when the offering baskets come by later, please go ahead and put them in the offering baskets. Or if you are not ready, you can drop them off downstairs um, in the social hall in the basket at the Sanctuary and Resistance table afterward. But this is your chance to share a moment of connection via paper heart to share your support, and we hope you will do so. Thank you. Please rise and body your spirit and join us in singing hymn number 131. Oh no, I left my glasses. <laughs> in the gray hymnal. Um, love will guide us. Good morning, everyone. 
Glad to see you. Uh, my name is Joan Gentili Namark. Um, I don't often use that middle name, but it's appropriate today. Um, I work with the Immigration Court Observer Program, um, a program of the Advocate for Human Rights and a member of the Sanctuary and Resistance Team. I was really called by the word accompany, which I heard a few years ago for the first time. Today's theme of accompaniment means that we go along with other people. We're with them in times both good and difficult, or as that song that we just said, Through the Hard Night. We go with others in many ways. Teachers and parents are literally moving with the youth and children today to other parts of the building. We stay with our seniors and parents, friends and our pets, and they go with us as we all age. We can also accompany strangers, folks we have never met. In immigration justice, we follow the path of ancestors who left their homes for many reasons. My Italian grandparents migrated to the US in the early 1900s. First, my grandfather, Celestino, looking for a job, leaving behind his wife, Rosa, and their three sons, Gino, Mario, and Nello. Rosa followed him 12 years later with two sons, but left the oldest behind, my uncle Gino. They thought they'd see him again, but that never happened. Gino felt abandoned, lost his whole life. I can now read his letters um, in Italian as an, uh, when he was an adult. Where are my parents, my brothers? I am so alone. It just breaks my heart to read that. My dad met his brother once in his life. He went to Italy and met him when my dad was 40. Immigration court observers accompany today's immigrants, individuals, children, and youth, and families, hearing their stories, showing up, and supporting them with our presence, bearing moral witness. I smile across the room, or I sit, smile at the person sitting next to me, or I nod at the little girl in the back row who's all dressed up. I share a pencil. We're with you. You're not alone. Someone cares. And the real magic of this is that the judge also sees us, and that makes a huge difference. Who doesn't behave differently if they're not, you know, if they feel like they're being observed? And we really do see changes happening. We change the system that separates families and can deport anyone, someone, just for driving a car. But soon in Minnesota, that will no longer be a reason. In church service in January, I heard something that has stuck with me that I think really spells what goes on in my life. We are all just walking one another home. So uh, this next song that we're going to sing um, may be new to some of you, so we'll learn it together. The first piece is a little call and response. It goes, Courage. Spirit home. 
I invite you to settle now even deeper into your body and into this moment. If you'd like, you can close your eyes. Focus your attention on the parts of the body which are closest to the earth. Scan your attention upwards, slowly. Focus your attention in the center of the body, where air becomes breath, where what is not you becomes you, where the line between blurs in a flow without ceasing. Scan your attention through the center of your body. Focus your attention at the top of the body, where feeling becomes thought and thought becomes action. Scan your attention through the top of the body. Now that we are present in our bodies and in this moment, let us hold our attention in loving openness to embrace the joys and sorrows of our community and the world. We celebrate with Reverend Arif Mamdani, who was granted a second renewal by the Ministerial Fellowship Committee of the Unitarian Universalist Association. This means that Reverend Arif is two-thirds of the way toward full fellowship. Reverend Arif is grateful for the love and care of his committee on ministry and this congregation as a whole. Our love and care is also with our senior minister, Reverend Jen Crow, who started a six-week leave earlier this week to care for herself in the midst of caring for two family members and a dear friend, all of whom are sick with cancer. We pray for those loved ones of Reverend Jen's and that she finds time and space for her own care and healing while tending to the care of those she loves. We lift up the celebration of Black History Month. We lift up great gratitude for blackness and black people for being exactly who you are in all your multiplicity. Those of us who are not black offer deep, keening sorrow that the world is not at all as it should be for you, beautiful kindred. All people of goodwill vow to work alongside you for your justice, your liberation, and your joy. Finally, let us hold in our hearts our fellow human beings who have been displaced, 
escaping economic, political, or climate injustices. Let us remember that the vast web of life, including human life, is and always has been on the move, seeking survival and opportunity. Let us dedicate our hearts and souls to the work of justice so that all our homelands and descendants may know peace and so the right of travel is restored to all who need it. Together, we hope and work so that the grip of addiction may be loosened, that the chains of oppression be broken, that grief might be shared, that joy might break through, and that love might make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. Good morning. My name is Sarah Adams, and I am the coordinator for the aid program at Interfaith Coalition on Immigration, as well as a member of the Sanctuary and Resistance team here at First Universalist. Aid is a program which provides emergency assistance and resources to asylum seekers, undocumented immigrants, and detainees. The activism that we practice is pragmatic. Aid volunteers are frontline workers who respond to the basic needs of some of the most vulnerable members of society. You might wonder, why are immigrants so vulnerable? And the answer is, they have virtually no safety net. If you are not a part of an immigrant community, you might not know how much not know much about how hard it is to be here. There is a lot of poverty, a lot of uncertainty about the future, and a lot of fear. People don't come to this country because it's easy. They come because conditions in their homeland are untenable. You have to be desperate to make that journey. In aid, we have a family who recently fled Venezuela. They knew no one 
and their only plan was to live at the airport. They had nowhere else to go. A faith community contacted AID, and AID helped them find shelter, clothing for a Minnesota winter, food, and work. I often get the question, can't they apply for assistance? And the answer is no. I became interested in immigrant justice because I used to work in social services. I worked for a home visiting program in which 85% of our participants were foreign born. The contract was to provide services to a family for two full years and I visited each family twice a week. There is no space more intimate than a person's home, and I became a familiar. I was trusted with people's stories. The two common themes were fear and escaping poverty. As a visitor, most immigrants I met were extremely gracious. They would send me home with food, make me handmade gifts, and invite me to their baptisms and weddings. They're hard workers. Adults work two or three jobs to make ends meet. They are loving parents, interested in the success of their children. Despite hardship, their faith carried them. Conversations began and ended with, si Dios quiera, which is Spanish for, if God wills it, or inshallah, which is Arabic for, if Allah wills it. As a home visitor, I was often the only white Minnesotan they knew. Their communities welcomed me into their homes. The first thing that impressed me was how extensive immigrant communities actually are. I would drive around the metro area looking for the addresses of my clients. In driving, I saw the familiar sound barriers that line the highway corridors. Later, I began to see behind the walls, endless apartment complexes that line the frontage roads. They line every highway in the metro area from White Bear Lake to Chanhassen. Those buildings were where my clients lived. Whole complexes are filled just with people from Mexico or just with people from Liberia or just people from Somalia. There is a building near downtown which houses only people from one village in the Gambia. Poverty is pervasive. Even in buildings that look tidy on the outside, it's common for 10 or 14 people to live in two-bedroom apartments. They sleep in shifts because there are not 14 beds. This is what families can afford. Landlords often don't make repairs. I remember an occasion when the ceiling literally fell down in chunks, and one of the chunks fell on a home visitor. The landlord made it clear that complaining would mean eviction, and the family didn't want to pursue their rights. They were too afraid because they had nowhere else to go. But poverty and fear are also relative. One client told me, in America, there is no poverty. I don't agree, but there are degrees of desperation. 
One client spoke of the gang violence that threatened her family. Another spoke of famine. The rain stopped falling and the crops wouldn't grow for years. To survive, villages emptied, except for, for the elderly. Grandparents left to care for the small children the mothers left behind. It's an impossible choice, but it is an act of love. Parents send money home for offspring they might never see again. We hear a lot about unaccompanied minors. Some of them are the children of our neighbors. One client drove to Arizona to meet her 12-year-old son who had just crossed the border. He came alone by land from Ecuador. The rules for public assistance are really complicated. You have to be more than just poor. You have to inhabit a category. If you were born here, you qualify. If you have a green card, you qualify. If you have been granted asylum, you qualify. If you're here lawfully seeking asylum, you generally don't qualify. And if you're undocumented, you definitely do not qualify. And without safety nets, crises are like dominoes. For me, the greatest irony working in social services was that most of the clients I'd been hired to help couldn't access most of the resources my agency had to offer. And I began to feel really cynical. And then, in about 2016, I discovered faith communities. I began to solicit funds from an area church. I gave out packets of cash to pay people's rent. I felt rebellious, like I was circumventing the system, which I was. <laughs> Those packets of cash staved off eviction for my clients. They filled the refrigerators of hungry children. I'm humbled by acts of unconditional generosity, the kind that doesn't make arbitrary rules about who is worthy. I'm also extremely proud to say that that church was First Universalist. It was an aha moment for me. I began to say, see faith communities differently because faith communities can respond in ways that social services can't. They are not just places of worship. They are not just doctrines or creeds. They can be manifestations of action and radical kindness. The role of this faith community in immigrant justice work has real life consequences for real people, and it's a lifeline. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Heidi Romanish, and I'm a member of the Sanctuary and Resistance team. For many years, I worked with the Sanctuary and Resistance Immigrant Fund, and currently, I participate in the Sanctuary State Coalition work, of which we are a member. I grew up Unitarian Universalist in, at the St. Cloud Fellowship and at Camp Unistar. I knew I was different from my new elementary school friends. First, because I lived in a passive solar home 
And when it came to religion, my third grade friends asked me, what do you believe? Do you believe in God? When I tried on the answer no to that question, I no longer had any friends. I learned from that experience, and I needed a response to the question, what do you believe? Luckily, at a table of materials at the UU Fellowship, I found a little card that answered that very question. It was red with a chalice on the front, and it could fit in your wallet. It clearly stated the UU principles, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, respect for the interconnected web of which we are all a part, justice, equality, and we come together to search for truth and meaning. I not only believed these core values, I began to see them acted out in the social justice work of my family and my UU community. In 1987, I met other UU youth at my first Camp Unistar Youth Week. These nonconformist UUs came from all around the Midwest. They caravaned from towns I had never heard of, Fergus Falls, Ames, Iowa, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. And they were listening to punk rock, resisting injustice at their schools and in society. My friend Joey Long's mother worked in a domestic violence shelter, and we all cried listening to the song Luca by Suzanne Vega. Our minds and hearts were open, and we were vulnerable together to feel pain and question, why is there this violence? I couldn't articulate it then, and it is hard to capture it now, too. Yet I believe it was who we were as Unitarian Universalist youth, which led us to search for truth and meaning together. We were uplifted by each other for this one week out of the year and charged our batteries to return to our conservative communities to face our struggles. I returned to my Unitarian Universalist faith after living in Costa Rica for 14 years. I came here to First Universalist for the first time on the Sunday following the November election of 2016. I was already involved in the immigrants' rights struggle with the group MIRAC, the Minnesota Immigrant Rights Action Committee, and the Driver's License for All campaign, and protesting to end family detention and deportations. So when I heard that this church was once a sanctuary state space to provide safe housing for immigrants in the 1980s, and they were ready to do so again, I joined with others to form the Sanctuary and Resistance Team. We accompany those who are most impacted by the injustices of our immigration system, which criminalizes migration, incarcerates people in immigrant detention, and separates families. I know what I believe. I don't need the little card anymore. It is a belief in the inherent worth and dignity of every person that we are all interconnected and respect this beautiful web we weave and break, and that justice, equality, and peace in our world is what we work toward together in our search for truth and meaning. The truth is, this work of accompanying immigrants in this oppressive system is heartbreaking, makes me rage with anger, and challenges my inner white savior. 
I am held up in it and able to continue resisting to dismantle this structure of laws, yet also working so that people can obtain legal protections and status within it, all the while feeling loved, respected, and in close relationship with this beautiful team here at this Unitarian Universalist community. First you. La lucha sigue. The struggle continues. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah and Heidi. Si se puede. And now it's time for us to ask for your packets of money. We're going to give you the same opportunity that Sarah had. We're going to share that opportunity with the whole congregation. Hello, balcony people. <laughs> and invite you to donate. The collection today comes to the Sanctuary and Resistance Immigration Justice Team. One strength of our team is a rich, long-standing, and diverse network of our connections with various immigration justice groups in the metro and statewide, and our particular current focus for financial support is that the money that comes through us at this moment will go to the Interfaith Coalition on Immigration, whose incredible work you've heard just a little bit about from Sarah today. Um, please also feel free to put your hearts metaphorically and literally into the collection basket as it goes around. During coffee hours, there'll be a table uh, in the social hall to explore opportunities to get more involved, whether you have an hour a year or an hour a week. And uh, you can talk with any of us who are already actively committed to the team. Thank you so much for opening your hearts, opening your wallets, and sharing some of your abundance with this work. For folks online, there'll be a slide uh, with the contact information for your Venmos and um, uh, contributions, and we love and appreciate you as well. Thank you.
please rise in body or spirit and join us in singing the closing hymn, Sanctuary. Uh, the words are a little different, so check them out. <laughs> Thank you to our incredible Sanctuary and Resistance team. Thank you to our visual arts team that I forgot to thank at the beginning for this. And if you were moved today and you are new-ish to us, um, I invite you to come to a place to start after worship right through those doors to learn more about Unitarian Universalism and this community. May you go forth to be instruments of love. May you go forth to make this congregation an instrument of love. And may you go forth to make our immigration system an instrument of love. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. If you've been nourished by what you've heard, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org slash donate to make your gift. We are a faith community committed to dismantling oppression and building beloved community. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.